This is the Starting Good Podcast. I'm Alex Gramling. I think that after you are fed and clothed and safe and ideally healthy, the next thing you have to be to live a really full and coherent and meaningful life, at least in contemporary America, is literate. Stacy Ratner is one of Chicago's most impassioned advocates for literacy. She's the founder of Open Books, an eight-year-old nonprofit that offers literacy programs for K-12 students in the city's public schools. Ratner funds her programs by running a used bookstore, also named Open Books, and located in the heart of downtown Chicago. With over 50,000 books lining its shelves, Open Books is a destination for those interested in supporting the cause of literacy, as well as those just looking for a good read. I spoke with Stacy recently and asked her to tell me more about her organization and her bookstore. Open Books transforms lives through reading, writing, and the power of used books. And what we actually do on a day-to-day basis is we collect used books from all around the city and in some cases all around the world. We sell a lot of them in our retail stores and online. We give some away in our programs to students. And the funding that we get from selling those used books and other things that we do helps fund reading and writing programs for about 5,000 students every year throughout the Chicago area. And so uh, would you describe it as kind of a a combination of a a business, a bookstore, with a a nonprofit uh, mission as well? It's all those things. We call it a nonprofit social venture because everything that we do is either about finding financing for our programs or providing those programs. And so everything is sort of a new adventure in the fields of literacy and earned income. Now, you've been uh, doing this uh, for eight years, but you come at it from a, 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 not a nonprofit background, but rather from a, a business background. Uh, describe your, your, uh, your background and, and how that uh, led you to form Open Books. Absolutely. So I started out my life when I was a very small person by thinking that I would grow up and become a copy editor. This was my big dream. And I'm now almost 42, and I'm still waiting to become a copy editor. But the long and winding path towards that goal, it started in college with a degree in literature. Then I went to graduate school for publishing, thinking I was going to work in publishing. didn't work out. Went back to law school. Graduated from law school, and at that time, my brother had just started what would be the first of about seven for-profit businesses that we would do together. That particular first business was computer consulting for small to medium-sized businesses actually in the greater Boston area. Eventually, we turned that into a high-speed Internet access company and then another high-speed Internet access company. We spent about seven years remarketing used vehicles on the Internet through a dealer network to a consumer audience. And then I went to work with my sister-in-law on a company called Sitter City, which is now a big international site, helping parents find quality child care in a variety of different ways. I had been with her at Sitter City from the startup stage. I was actually the second full-time employee there, all the way through the first round of funding, hiring our first set of really good full-time people, moving into a bigger office and really going national. And then I had sort of this moment of life reassessment. I was about to turn a significant birthday number, and I thought, if this is the last job you're ever going to get to hold, because you really could get hit by a bus at any second, you live in a dangerous downtown neighborhood after all, would you want this to be the last thing that you ever did? And sort of from that moment and from that experience, I left Sitter City in fantastic hands. It's continued to be a major player in that market. I went home and said, okay, I think I want to start another business because that seems to be the trend of my career. And I think I want it to be a nonprofit because I think that should be how I spend the next however many working years I have left to work. But I don't actually know anything about starting a nonprofit. I have never worked at a nonprofit. I had never volunteered significantly at a nonprofit. I had certainly never raised money for a nonprofit. 
What do I do? And I think that looking back, that is why Open Books has and has always had this strong social venture component to it. Because I had never written a grant or asked anybody for a major charitable gift, but I at least had, based on these years in the Internet business field, this understanding that if you sell something and people pay you for it, then you have some financial independence. And so the idea of collecting the used books and selling them kind of came from there. The idea of putting them in a physical bookstore and not just selling them online, which might have made more sense given my background, which was all in online companies, came from the fact that literacy in Chicago is an absolutely crucial and pressing issue. I mean, the statistics continue to be much less favorable than anybody would like to see in a major city. But you can easily live here and have a pretty full and fulfilling life and not know that it's a problem, which is not true of other causes. I think that if you live here, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that we still have an issue with homelessness, that we still have an issue with gun violence, actually more of an issue with gun violence all the time, it sometimes seems like. And you can see that from walking around and being in the culture. Literacy can be more of an invisible issue. You don't necessarily know walking down the street that it's a problem. And so I thought if we had a retail bookstore, we could use it not only to sell the books and make money for the programs that I was hoping we would be able to offer, but also as an awareness venue for the consumer public. So that if someone came in to buy a book or attend an author reading or host a book club, they would leave not only, ideally, with wonderful used books and a happy joy to return, but also with some knowledge that literacy is still a problem in Chicago and maybe even better, a determination that they could get involved and do something about it. So I, I want to back up in your personal story, and then we'll move forward. Uh, but you glossed over a detail that was interesting to me. You graduated from law school. I did. Uh, but you didn't become a lawyer. Why is that? I did not. Um, I did not become a lawyer for a few reasons. Number one, I was still holding on to this dream of becoming a copy editor. And so going to law school, actually, I was hoping to graduate and work for a legal publishing company doing copy editing. So fortunately, I suppose that didn't work out. But the other reason was that my brother had started this first company that I mentioned halfway through my second year of law school. And so when I graduated and took the bar exam, I was already working with him on that, and the opportunity was just kind of too exciting to say, no, never mind, I'm going to go off and be a lawyer. Now let's, let's jump forward again to the, the startup of, of Open Books. Talk to us about why you selected literacy specifically as this cause that you wanted to devote the next several years of your life to. That is a great question because, honestly, I didn't know that when I sat down to figure out what I was going to do. So I started in a few ways. One was to make a list of all the causes that I thought were really important, and it was a very long list. And the next step was to say, okay, of the causes that I think are really important, which ones can I legitimately spend a huge amount of time and emotional energy on without getting burned out or without really feeling like the value that I add is minimal? And actually, that took quite a few off the list. So, for instance, I feel strongly that there should not be homeless animals and homeless people. I feel like everybody should have a home to go to. But I would have adopted every single puppy, and that would have been unsustainable pretty fast, right? Literacy, on the other hand, it was caused that I suppose was always a part of what I wanted to do. I grew up wanting to be a copy editor. I'm a reader. I write books. My parents are both teachers. It was kind of in my blood to do something with education. But with literacy, firstly, I had not realized what a challenge it was in the city and how much of a problem it really posed. And I thought, my goodness, if I don't know that, I bet a lot of other people don't know that. So there is at least an awareness issue that I can help with without diluting the cause. And then when I started to think about what kinds of programs we might offer in literacy, I thought, I don't necessarily have the expertise or the credibility or even the will to go out and reinvent things like adult literacy and workforce development, which really require a lot of understanding in addition to good intent. But if we start with fairly simple programs for kids, 
one-on-one reading with adult volunteer mentors, for example. With some basic training and a willingness to be taught and a willingness to learn, I think there is value that you can add with a program like that, even early on in your development as someone in the field. And that, in fact, is how we started our programming. So literacy, because it had always been in my blood, even though I hadn't quite realized it, because it is still a major problem even in a first world city, because you can get into the cause and you can do more good than harm, if you really think about it carefully, and because I think that after you are fed and clothed and safe and ideally healthy, the next thing you have to be to live a really full and coherent and meaningful life, at least in contemporary America, is literate. I think it's very, very, very difficult to be the kind of person that you might want to be, to have the opportunities that you might wish to have for yourself, for your family, for the generations that come after you, for the city and the place in which you live. It's very hard to have all those opportunities if you don't have the ability to communicate effectively through writing and to know what people are communicating to you through reading. So for all those reasons, it ended up being literacy that I chose, or actually I think that chose me. And I'm very glad because I've learned so much more about everything than I thought I was going to know, and this turns out to have been the right road to take to get there. And so once you chose uh, your cause after careful deliberation, uh, you got into the retail business. You're, you're running a bookstore. Was the bookstore part of your idea at the outset? Uh, talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So the short answer is yes, but here's the more complicated answer. Yes, the bookstore was always part of the plan. But if you go back and read the little executive summary and business plan that I wrote back in 2006, it is pretty clear that every assumption I made about the bookstore was completely and entirely wrong. I was wrong about the size it should be. I was wrong about the part of town I thought it would be located in. I was wrong about how many books we would handle. I was wrong about the fact that I didn't think we needed to inventory the books. We could just have them on the shelves and people would treasure hunt for what they wanted, like in most used bookstores. Fortunately or unfortunately, one of the other things that I was wrong about is that I thought it would take a year to open the store and that the real difficulty would be getting enough books to fill it. Because my big goal at the time was 50,000 books. That would be a huge number, but I was sure we would have a store within a year to put them in. The reality was that it took three years to find a place to open the store, and by then we had processed more than 250,000 used books in one way or another because it turned out there were a lot of used books in the Chicago ecosystem, and people were happy to dump them on my front porch, at our office, in my car, (laughs) wherever. So when we finally, finally, finally did find a home for the store, one of the essential things to do was not to let me figure out how to run the store because, I, as you point out, I had no experience in it. It was to hire someone very, very experienced in bookstore management and book selling. And he has been with us since the day we opened, and it's largely because of his input and his knowledge that our store operates the way that it does. And among the many decisions that he helped us make early on was this one about inventorying the books. So he had come from both new and used book selling, but particularly in the new market, and said, I don't know how you're going to know what you have or how you're going to have happy customers who want to return or how you're going to have a good book selling or book shopping experience if no one knows what's there except me. So we must inventory the books and we must find a way to do it efficiently. And that was a real challenge when we opened because the way that it actually wound out was between the time that we signed the lease and the day we opened for business, we had about 90 days, which is not a lot of time because we had several years' worth of collected books that were completely unsorted, still in grocery bags and boxes and however we would receive them, sort of all jammed up together in a bunch of storage units in an old warehouse. And so we had to go through all those books, decide which ones should be in the store, put them in the inventory system, get them on the shelves, order the shelves, install the shelves, put the books on the shelves. But we opened with just about 50,000 books inventoried and ready to go. And everything that we've added to the shopping experience since has been either something that he and now his team brought from their years of experience in book selling or, 
and this is maybe even more, I guess, typical of our, how we do things, or from suggestions from shoppers in the store and volunteers. So we opened the store with many, many sections. We had all the normal ones. We had fiction and biography and cooking and kids and so on. And the second or third week that we were open, the shopper came in and said, where is your Chicago section? We didn't have a Chicago section. It hadn't occurred to us to have a Chicago section. So we said, no Chicago section. Let us help you find some books on Chicago. And then promptly created a bookshelf called Chicago. And now we have a Chicago section, and it is actually one of the better-selling shelves in the store. In fact, the number one best-selling book across our years in business is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which is a book about Chicago. So creating a Chicago section hadn't occurred to us. It occurred to a shopper. We did it. It's been a great success. Many, many similar initiatives in the store come from the team, but they also come from volunteers and from shoppers. And so my complete, complete lack of any kind of experience in retail bookselling has fortunately been more than made up for by the amazing people who are on the project with me and making it happen. Location is obviously an important aspect of, of retail uh, business. Did you choose the location of the bookstore purposefully? And, and I guess my follow-up question is, did you feel it was more important to be closer to book buyers or to your clients, to the uh, people who are going to participate in your literacy programs? Yeah, fabulous question. So in the three years that we were looking for a location, we moved from my basement into a small office, and then we were sort of and in a small warehouse, and then we were sort of stuck. And I looked all over town for the right location for this bookstore. I looked at every possible kind of building, including, most notably in my mind, the week before we found our actual space, I toured a funeral home, which had been partially vacated but not entirely. And I thought, this is really what we've come down to. I have to choose between a half-empty funeral home and never opening a bookstore. This is just hopeless. Why am I doing this? And then literally, I think it was the week after that, there's a retail space on the floor of the office building that we were currently occupying, which I'd always kind of thought was a very impressive retail space, but it had always been very high-end kitchen and bath fixtures. And I thought there was no way they were ever leaving, and if they were, there was no way we could afford it. They vacated in the middle of the night, and left without a forwarding address, and the building suddenly had this available retail space that they thought they'd had an extended lease on and no tenant. They were anxious to fill it. It was in our existing building. It was kind of like that no-place-like-home moment in The Wizard of Oz where you realize it's been right in your own backyard the whole time. There was our bookstore space in our building. We could have it. It would be affordable. And that was when, as I say, we signed the lease and then had 90 days to get in there and get it going up and running. Is this a location that I would have chosen where we are now? You know, I'm not sure that it is. This isn't a neighborhood that I was even looking in, really, for the bookstore, for many reasons. And it turned out to be actually a great location to open the store in when we did, because there is a book-buying contingent here. It's not a major shopping area, but it has some foot traffic. People have started to come here as a destination for shopping, which is nice. It is within walking distance of some of our very first schools, and that was really nice when we were piloting our programs back in the day. Being able to walk to the kids and have them come here without having to hire a school bus and go through all of that, that was really convenient. We now are going to move, after several years in this location, to, well, it's a place that I think is going to get a lot more foot traffic. I think there are a lot more book buyers there. It is nearer many other forms of public transportation. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge to walk to kids. There are not schools right in walking distance, but it is convenient for school buses to come. And as our programs have evolved, it has really been more kids coming to us by the busload than us walking to kids for individual programs. So this was not the location that I thought I was going to be in. It actually was a perfect pilot location for the five years that we were here. And I am really excited to see how it's going to be different when we move, which hopefully will be in the spring of next year. We haven't touched on uh, your programs in great detail. Describe some of those for us. Absolutely. We offer currently five programs. 
uh, four instructional and one what we call a book grant program. The instructional programs serve grades kindergarten through 12, and they range from one-on-one -on -one reading, which is called Open Books Buddies, twice a week, where we actually match each student with an adult volunteer mentor of his or her own. And every other day, basically, twice a week, they spend an hour together working on vocabulary and comprehension and fluency and reading out loud together. But I think just as importantly as the reading practice, what the students are getting is the model of a caring, compassionate, talented adult who is willing to sit with them and give them their exclusive attention. And what they're doing together is reading. So reading is not just a skill. The reading is now a social experience. Reading is a supported activity. Reading is a lot of things through this program that maybe it isn't at home for the students that we serve. And that was our very first program. Our second program is Adventures in Creative Writing Field Trips. And these are nonfiction creative writing workshops where students come to us, usually two classes at a time, so 30 to 60 kids, depending on the day. And in their two hours with us here, they see some sample writing, they write some things together, and then through some guided instruction and volunteer mentoring at the individual tables where they're sitting, each student produces a prose piece or some poetry, depending on what the theme for the day is. They share that with their class. They read out loud in front if they choose to. We never, of course, force a student to participate, but often we are overwhelmed by students who want to read for their class. There's great applause and excitement over what they've shared. They go down to our bookstore, and every student chooses a book to take home. And then a few weeks later, they receive a collection of anthologies of the writing that the entire class did that day with photographs and everyone's work all collated in one volume, and they each get a copy of that to keep and take home what they wrote and what all their classmates wrote. So that's the Adventures in Creative Writing Field Trips program. That's the largest program that we offer. That's about 3,000 kids a year. And then we have two other programs. One is just writing, and one is kind of reading and writing. There's a program called Read Then Write, which is kind of just what it sounds like. It's two days a week in schools for fifth through eighth graders. The first day of each week, we read together. And it's works that are reading level appropriate and interest level appropriate for that group, usually on some kind of a major theme. So it might be coming of age, or it might be everyday heroes. And then they work on a significant piece of writing on that theme, inspired by what they've learned and the stuff that we read together on the first day of that week. They work on this piece that they're writing for usually between 6 and 12 weeks, however long we're there for that semester, with volunteer mentors again. We take all those writings and we put them into a professionally bound anthology. So this is usually a softback book with author photos and author bios and a blurb on the back and a special cover design just for them and everything. And then they come to our bookstore and they have their author launch. So we have copies of the book. We have a sparkling cider toast where they celebrate their new author status. They read for the crowd if they're so inclined. Often many of them are so inclined. And then they each get a copy of that to take home and keep, which is theirs forever. The last instructional program that we offer at Publishing Academy is the only fiction thing that we do, and it is a summer, write, summer novel writing I'll try that sentence over again. Read Then Write, which is the only fiction program that we offer, is an immersive summer camp program, usually for 5th through 8th graders. And they actually spend the summer with us working on a fantasy fiction or a graphic novel from start to finish. So they come in on day one, they start creating their world, they create their characters, they figure out their plot line, they figure out their setting. They meet with cover design artists to talk about their cover. They get their photos taken by a professional photographer. And after this summer camp part is over, we take the manuscripts and yet again put them together and professionally publish them, but this time as individual novels rather than as anthologies. And then the students return at the end of the summer early in the fall for the big author launch in the store where they see their published novels for the first time, share with their peers, their friends and family who attend, take the author toast, and get a copy of their novel to keep and take home. So among these programs, we are serving kindergarten through 12th grade with reading and writing in a variety of ways, but the common theme is really transformation through reading and writing whether that is transformation of your basic reading abilities and skills, all the way up through transformation of, I was a student coming in, and now I am a published author. I wrote a novel. 
and everything in between. The last program that we currently offer is not a direct instructional program. It's a book grant program. It's called Bookworm Angels. And here we take children's books that are engaging, high quality, age appropriate, and we give them away by the box load to K through 12 teachers, educators, and other nonprofit institutions that need kids' books in their space. As someone who's worked on this issue for eight years now, uh, you obviously understand or have a better understanding of how complex it is. There are so many outside factors, socioeconomic, cultural, that, that impact literacy rates. Uh, what have you learned, and after eight years, are, are you encouraged, or is this still a very difficult and, and challenging uh, problem? You know, it is always a difficult and a challenging problem because we have not yet woken up and discovered that everybody can read. And until that day happens, it will continue to be a difficult and a challenging problem because literacy, as you correctly point out, is a very complicated issue, and it does derive from a number of factors. Among those factors are not necessarily intelligence or dedication or commitment or interest. You can have all of those things, and your literacy levels may still be low. Because, in fact, literacy is inextricably linked to socioeconomic status and to poverty. And on reflection, this is not very surprising, because your access to the printed word may be low. You may not be surrounded by media in your daily life. There may not be billboards where you are. There may not be much of anything that has printed material in it, depending on where you live and what your situation is. So literacy is a difficult skill to come by if you're not in an area that encourages it. And it is hard because it limits your access to it by virtue of the fact that you have limited access to it. So if you are someone with limited literacy and you determine that you want to fix that status about yourself, it can be hard to find a program to attend if your literacy skills are such that you have trouble researching the issue, reading a paper, looking on the Internet. right? So you may need help to get to the point where you can figure out how to solve this issue because the issue is already in your life in a significant way. But... The Open Book's decision to focus on K-12 through students has made it possible to understand that and to acknowledge it and not to be discouraged by it to the extent that we can't do our work. Because when you're working with that age range, K-12, through there are challenges, of course, that come with dealing with kids at any level. And reading is not always the first thing on their minds in any case. But essentially, there is not a day that goes by at any program that we do where there is not at least one moment of just joy. Something wonderful happens. It could be that a child gets a book that he or she has been wanting for weeks. It could be that they figure out a word that they didn't know. It could be that they read a poem in front of their class, and now their class is kind of admiring them, is clapping for them, is encouraging them. And for students who are shy or socially inept who worked up the nerve to read in front of their class, this is a major, major transforming moment. And so I think that by doing literacy at the K-12 through level, we've sort of gotten ourselves into a few advantageous situations. One is that there is joy every day somewhere in the programs. There's also sorrow and heartbreak a lot of the time, but there is always joy. And the other is hopefully that we are making the experience of the world to come a little bit easier because obviously our K-12 through kids are going to be the adults of tomorrow and generations from now. If we can get them excited about reading, if we can improve their writing skills, if we can make them see reading and writing as not just stuff you do at school, but stuff that makes your life better, more interesting, more full, well, then ideally the people working in adult literacy programs 20, 30, 50 years from now we're not going to be facing such an intractable issue as they face now. In my, uh, in my research, I read you may have uh, transitioned the leadership of open books. Uh, what, what does the future hold for your organization and for yourself? Oh, what an awesome question, and how extremely timely. So a few years ago, I was the founder and executive director of open books, and we made a decision to split those roles. I will obviously always be the founder. You can't unfound something. 
but we did promote someone else into the role of executive director. She'd actually been with Open Books for a very long time. She understands both the organization and the sector intimately. She was a great choice to be the executive director. And so she now focuses largely on internal affairs, fundraising, and sort of keeping the ship sailing onward in the right direction. And that freed me up to think about the next things for Open Books, what are the next big projects? Because that, I think, is what I add to the organization. I'm looking for the next big thing two, three years out. So at the beginning, the next big thing was everything. And then the next big thing was the bookstore. And then the next big thing was the next thing. So I'm now working on two projects for open books that are really going to transform how we do a lot of things. So the first one I referred to already a little bit when I was talking about us moving. We're not just moving into another space. We are moving into what is going to be the first shared workspace dedicated exclusively to literacy nonprofits in the city of Chicago and as far as we can tell in the country. So the model here is Open Books takes a retail space on the first floor of this new location. It'll be bigger than our current store. It'll have our classrooms in it. It'll be a really, really nice bookstore encapsulating everything that we've learned over the last many years of doing this. And then floors two and three are shared workspace, member opportunity event spaces, and reserved offices for up to 80 other literacy organizations. So many of us working in this field will be in the same place for the first time. Some people will choose to move their entire operations and be there all day, every day. Some people will just be on a membership basis and stop by for events or for an hour or two during the week to take some meetings or to rent one of the rooms. But I think that in terms of advancing the cause of literacy in the city, this is going to be the most major thing that has happened, certainly in the time that I've been working in the cause, and from what I can tell, talking to my seniors in the field in a very, very, very long time. Because it will magnify the impact of what we all do collectively. It will be a gathering place for everyone involved in the cause, from bookshoppers all the way up through volunteers and full-time people and funders and students and everyone else who really cares about the issue. And Open Books is kind of one of the catalyst tenants in this project. I kind of had the idea a few years ago. I've been working on it for a long time. I committed Open Books to it without even knowing where the space would be. And we are now about, I would say, three weeks away from publicly announcing the location and the list of tenants and our actual opening date next spring. So that's a big next thing for open books that I'm working on. And then the other one is we, as I mentioned, have several writing programs that now serve several thousand students a year, and that's awesome. But they're all in Chicago because that's where we physically are located. And so it was suggested a little while ago, I guess about two years ago, that we think about finding a way to expand those programs outside of the city. How could we effectively do that? And so what we developed in response to that is an online writing portal that doesn't provide our full creative writing experience, but it does do some other interesting things. It allows for story prompting. There's an interactive writing space where students can share their writing with volunteer editors or with their parents or with their teachers. We're adding a whole education module part where teachers can put in curriculum and they'll have a grading mechanism. We've gotten this project, which is called Storyport, all the way up through proof of concept and testing with about 75 second graders. And then our board of directors said, should you consider spinning Storyport out as a separate for-profit corporation so that it could achieve scale faster, so that it could attract a different kind of funding that would not be subject to nonprofit restrictions. With, of course, the understanding that the heart of Storyport is still providing writing experiences very much in keeping with the Open Books mission, but finding a different corporate structure for it so that it could provide more revenue back to the parent Open Books company than we could have done if it was just a program within our nonprofit structure. So we are taking the step to doing that. We are filing papers for incorporation in the next few weeks, and we are getting ready to go out and start it as a separate for-profit venture that continues to be inspired by Open Books every day and to feed back a portion of its revenue, but that takes a different path to scale and profitability in order to spread the writing ability and the program and platform to more kids more quickly. 
And both of those, the Literary Center, which is the name for the big shared space and Storyport, would not have been things that I could have taken on if I were also trying to do all the day-to-day management that the executive director role calls for. So splitting the leadership really was the ticket to freedom to do these next big things that I'm really excited that Open Books is going to get to do. And that kind of fit with my DNA as an entrepreneur who starts things and says, this is great, what else? That's Stacy Ratner, founder of Open Books. Thanks for listening to Starting Good. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on our website at startinggood.org. I'm Alex Gramling.